From Lanyon Bowdler Solicitors, this is The Legal Lounge. Here's your host, Amanda Jones. Hello and welcome to Season 2 of The Legal Lounge, where we've got some great content planned for you. If you haven't heard the shows in the first season yet, they're definitely worth checking out. You'll get an insight into many aspects of law in England and Wales, including divorce, mental capacity and claims for different kinds of injury. You can listen to these shows on your podcast app or by visiting lblaw.co.uk forward slash podcast. In this episode, we have family solicitor Lisa Grimmett speaking with relationship therapist Adele Ballatine about collaborative law, which is an alternative solution to mediation for resolving family disputes outside of court. Oh, good morning, Adele. It's really lovely to have you here today. Um, I'm Lisa, and uh, you're a family relationship therapist locally, aren't you? Hi, Lisa. Yes, I, I'm Adele Ballantyne. I run the Leader Consultancy uh, here in Shrewsbury, but work throughout the UK as a relationship therapist, family therapist, and family consultant. Collaborative law is uh, a third way, really, a different process to couples sorting out a resolution for relationship breakdown. Traditionally, people think that a couple might have to launch into a divorce and then go to the courts and spend a lot of time and be very involved at a stressful time of their lives in sorting out their relationship breakdown. But the collaborative approach is a breath of fresh air, Adele. It's a way where couples can work with support from collaborative practitioners so solicitors but also financial experts and family therapists like yourself to sit together and resolve matters not through the court approach but through a series of discussions in a roundtable meeting setting. As someone who works with uh, couples in conflict or couples who are going through relationship breakdown all of the time, the thing that I know works really well when it's safe to do so is to have both people in the room so we can all hear what's going on, so we can be transparent, so that there's no sort of them and us situation where perhaps one person is hearing one thing and uh, the other person hearing something else and the, the two getting a little bit confused. I think it gives an opportunity for communication to be so much clearer and it's kinder. It's a much more gentle approach rather than an envelope or an email landing on your doormat with, oh, this is from their solicitor. We're all in the room together. And that's really good. Yes, that's a particular strength, I think, to the process, that um, people are treated in a civil fashion, like mature adults who once upon a time did love each other. They're invited to uh, sit in a supported environment. They're not sent off to, say, a mediator and left to explain things for themselves they're there in the room they can hear what's being said by their former partner both the lawyers who are sat beside them can show a degree of uh, common ground and appreciate and recognize that there is consistency and so yes it's it's virtually the opposite of a court environment and solicitors negotiation where often the letters from solicitors are criticising the position taken by the other party or the other solicitor. It's a really positive way to build on areas where the parties agree and the solicitors can emphasise to them, yes, we both recognise that the legal process 
needs you each to do X or Y. And we're working forwards from an agreed basis. That's fantastic. And I think what might be helpful um, for listeners to know is, um, and it's certainly something I talk to all the clients I work with, if they've chosen to end their relationship and to separate, collaborative process is something I always talk about. And many people really don't know what that is. So I wonder if it might be helpful if you, Lisa, could just sort of walk us through what happens when somebody comes to you and asks about separation and you talk about the collaborative process just sort of walk them through that they would meet with me and nowadays we can do it over the telephone or by zoom or face to face if restrictions are lifted and we're allowed and we talk about their situation and we look at what might suit them best there's a number of procedures and options so quite often parties want to be able to be transparent and I can then say that we could look at traditional correspondence with the other party solicitor or we could look at trying to keep it out of court and invite the client to speak to their other half about whether they could find another collaborative lawyer in the area and I'd give them a leaflet and that would have a contact detail they could look online as well we've got a shropshirecollaborativelawyers.co.uk website and through the main body that uh, we all subscribe to resolution they can find a contact address for other bots within the area and then we'd look at how they feel most comfortable in working through their separation. So a client might say that they are getting on amicably and they want to make sure that the children are as carefully managed and protected through the transition from a single home to new separate homes and that they can move between those homes and that they want to show to their children that they can still work in a co-parenting relationship. And all of those indicators to me would make me think well this is likely to be a case where they probably would work really well in an alternative dispute resolution model and that's a very lawyerly phrase but what it means is rather than going to court and issuing the papers and following the procedure that everybody has to do we look at a collaborative approach where we can speak to the other party's collaborative lawyer, agree an agenda, have the parties fill in an agenda, putting what they want to at the top of their list. And then we have a series of meetings where we would sit with the agenda and those meetings are without prejudice. So everything can be aired. The parties can sit very comfortably and share, really, talk about what their common aims are and their goals and what their anxieties are and what they'd like to avoid but what they'd like to achieve and look at a more outcome-based forward-looking solution so it's so positive in its setup and design the collaborative process we're not looking back at who's to blame and why it went wrong we're recognizing where we are and we're looking at moving it forward but what I should say before I invite you to tell us about your role in the process is that 
if the parties do want to subscribe to a collaborative approach, because it's going to be without prejudice and we're sharing things and nobody is going to be brought to book about that in a courtroom later, the parties sign a participation agreement. And that binds them to an agreement that we're going to try to resolve all matters through this series of meetings with the lawyers, with any experts there. And we're going to work through any bumps in the road through those meetings and not just pull the plug and say, right, well, I'm off to court. And that's a really important aspect that once parties do sign the participation agreement, they are bound into the process doesn't mean they can't choose to walk away if something really significant blows up and the lawyers feel that we have to draw a line a safeguarding issue for example but it does give them the jam to keep them in the sandwich if you like so that's my view of how I would walk a client through the process and then ultimately after those meetings where we'd reality test some options for how an outcome might be drawn up We'd prepare an order, we'd send it to the court, and we'd get a final order in just the same way as if they'd gone to court. So it's the same outcome and a much more civilised, open, transparent, respectful process. It enables those parents, um, because if they're separating and they have children, um, you know, they're going to be parents. Even though they are separate, they're still their children's family. And it just... I think is a great model for showing that they can still talk together and they can resolve things, even the most complicated things. Um, and, and that's important for moving forward because at some point the divorce process ends and they're out in the big wide world being those co-parents. Um, but that process shows that they can sit down together and have those really difficult conversations and meet resolution together um, so I think that's that's a really good model. We need to emphasize again how your role is really pivotal to enabling people to have those difficult conversations sometimes and to communicate and to start unpicking what their role as a parent going forward will be and and to help them get the most out of a collaborative process. Perhaps I could explain that if we pause after a first four-way meeting and we find that perhaps one party is less forthcoming or not quite as confident in the room, um, myself or my collaborative counterpart could give you a call and say, would you be able to work with the couple on a referral basis for a little bit of family therapy or relationship support? And then tell us how you would then be involved in that. That does happen. That that happens a lot. I am a relationship therapist. I work with couples going through all a manner of uh, crisis in their um, in in their relationships together. And relationship breakdown is a particularly difficult um, journey to negotiate, especially when there are children, because they're always going to be co-parents. Uh, for their children and their children need them. The needs of the children stay the same even though their relationship has ended. And so my role in this process, and I, I love being part of this process, there are two ways that I can assist. So either I, I see clients through that referral process, offer them some support, look at where their communication could be better and what they're struggling with when they're sitting in that meeting 
with their lawyers and what it is that's actually preventing that process from being as good as it could be. Another way that I work with them is quite often they're referred right at the beginning of the process before that first four-way meeting and I see them uh, clients individually to start with and then if safe to do so I'll do a joint meeting and we decide collaborate together on whether it would be helpful for me to become part of that meeting and it becomes a five-way meeting and my role specifically then is looking at behavior looking at what will stop the the clear communication from happening we all have behavior that we show when we're under emotional stress and some of that behavior comes right back from our childhood sometimes we're aware of it and sometimes we're not so when we are in a difficult emotional situation sometimes that behavior comes through now part of my role as a relationship therapist is understanding those behaviors and how they impact on communication of the couple together and indeed within that meeting so once I understand that I can then be part of that uh, five-way meeting. And if I see those behaviours starting to become evident, what I can do is suggest, okay, maybe it's a good time to just take a five-minute break, have a cup of tea, just everybody go outside and breathe some air, and then we'll, we'll try again. Because the moment we start to become emotional, we have adrenaline released into our system. And when that happens, we go into freeze, fight, flight. That cuts our listening power by 50%, if not more, because the bit of our brain that is affected by the adrenaline is the cortex at the front. And that is responsible for clear, calm, logical thinking. I see. So... I think it's really helpful that uh, you've touched on that needing a break sometimes because, as I explained, being as the party set the agenda, they're putting points that they'd like to have in this discussion that are quite emotional for them, quite very important to them, on the list of issues to discuss. So they're right at the thick of it, aren't they? It's very different to a court approach where they're sort of one step removed and they're behind their solicitors or behind the barrister or listening to what the judge says is the outcome there and and I think it's a strength but it's also quite raw because it's it's really sitting in the room and sharing those discussion points and we can have these meetings um, take two two and a half hours sometimes and we do have our breaks but I think that's really helpful that if you can read through non-verbal signs that somebody is just needing a bit of a break that you pick up on that. My experience of working with you over many years now is also that you do a lot in tandem outside of the meetings because perhaps I see your work more once I've referred the client or my counterpart has and then we're reaping the benefit of them having had those separate meetings with you prior to coming to their first four-way meeting but also I see so much positive work where after a few sessions they are much more comfortable talking about the children and working together and I think you do a huge amount of work on looking at the perspective of reminding the parties of where the children sit in all this because they're central but they don't have a voice usually do they to children they don't and it's interesting because whenever I see clients whose relationship has ended and they're starting the divorce process the first thing they usually say to me is we we really want to 
you know, not harm our children. What's the best way to do this? And uh, sometimes they've come from families where their parents have separated and it hasn't been a, a particularly good process for them. So they're worried that, that they don't want to repeat that. You know, even that one thing brings a lot of guilt with it. Mm. You know, my parents separated and now here I am separating mm. and I didn't want that. Um, and children often don't have a voice, but they do need to understand about what's going on. So it's about how much information parents should give them, what their children will need from them throughout this and beyond. And what happens when a relationship breaks down is that parents begin two journeys, a relationship, adult relationship breakdown and the beginning of a co-parenting relationship. One of those journeys often has breach of trust, heartache and pain and rejection and abandonment and the other requires trust because your children are going between two homes, one parent in each and those parents might go on and find new partners and again that's another bump in the road that needs to be negotiated but parents have very little education about what happens when they divorce. If you just take that comparison of weddings, um, you know, and how much time, effort, information, research, couples engage in when they decide to, to marry, it's huge. There are wedding fairs. They can go, they can find out who makes the best cake. They can find out what's the best venue and how they're going to make the most wonderful day. And they spend such a lot of money doing that. They invest a lot of time and effort. If you look at the other end of, of that spectrum, if a relationship then comes to an end, there is very little time and thought given to that. So part of what I do is education. Part of what I do is helping people to understand what's happening for them going through this process. The bereavement, the grief, the loss, the abandonment feelings. You know, and if your father left you as a child they didn't leave you, they left a, an adult relationship, but maybe because of what happened, they, they didn't get to see their, their dad. You know, and this is all happening again, it triggers. And so what I help parents to understand is what's happening for them, where they, what's going through this process psychologically and how that's going to affect them. So one day they're gonna wake up and feel, yeah, actually, today's a good day. And yes, I'm going to be agreeable and I'm going to work hard to make this as good as we can for the children. And the next day they wake up and think, absolutely not. You know, they've, they've broken my heart. Why should I make this easy? That's part of the grieving process. So if you understand that you're going to be on this roller coaster where one day you're going to feel great and the next you're not, actually that normalises things. And then also looking at what children need from you. That's really important. How to tell the children, that's a very common yes. question. It's also very useful that you can work with as collaborative lawyers in the group by working out when a person is receptive to moving on and discussing and even starting the process. Because sometimes the emotional breakup is so raw that they're just not ready. They're going through the early part of that grief cycle and they need to work through and just delaying it by a couple of months and having a few sessions with you and then helping them see where they are clears the mists in their minds and they're ready then to sit and tackle it. And that's why I think that collaborative 
law, we have to undertake a screening process to check that we think that the parties are going to be compatible and we're going to be able to discuss things and that there is some level of trust about financial um, goings on. Uh, It's helpful when the parties have had a a shared bank account and they know about openness in transactions. So they're starting from quite a good knowledge base about where they sit, each of them. But it's also important that they're both ready to go into the room, literally, and work through these issues together because as I said earlier it's quite raw for them and they're at the front of the discussions. It's beautiful as a process because it enables them to tailor make their agenda. It's holistic because on the agenda we have not just discussion of which basis for divorce are we going to issue under, what's the time scale going to be, uh, when are we going to give financial disclosure and do all of the legal stuff but we can say do we need to actually discuss about the travel between the households for the children and the family time and how that's to be shared between mum and dad and any issues that crop up with a child's specific behaviour and it's so focused it's much more targeted and tailor-made for them than is the bog-standard court process where there are 32-page forms that you have to laboriously fill in and then you have to file and exchange and analyse and draw up schedules and then potentially never actually sit around a table together. The first you hear is, as you say, when a letter drops through the doormat with these schedules and narrative. Not everybody likes to work on a written basis all the time. If you think that in terms of our communication, only how we understand the message that's been given to us is, you know, 93% is body language and intonation. So if you're getting a letter, it's like, you know, when you read a text sometimes and you think, oh, that's a bit <laughs> bit harsh or a bit blunt because there's no emoji or because there's, you know, there's, there's nothing there to, to, to soften it. We need the extra cues. So the advantage of being around a table is that we can read each other. We can look into each other's eyes and understand the sentiment in which something is being said. And I think it's important to point out that that when you have two people going through a separation, they're going to be at different points of that bereavement process so you'll have one person who perhaps has not been happy for some time um, and has been starting that bereavement journey they maybe have tried to talk to their partner maybe the partner hasn't listened they've kept trying and then they've said enough I need to be out of here often in my experience that's about 18 months that that's been happening for before the couple then have that conversation I'm not happy I want to separate For the other person, you know, maybe they've been a bit head in the sand. Maybe they haven't wanted to address the issues. That's their bus crash moment. That's the bit that is, what? What are you saying? Trying to get two people in a room who are at different parts of that bereavement process. You've got one who's accepted it's over. So come on, let's just move on. I just, I don't want to... I don't want to fight, I don't want to argue, I just want to get this done and dusted. And the other one, who's on major catch-up. And so having that pause, is re- it is really crucial. And I think that's what this more holistic approach does. They come to see you, you decide, yes, maybe the collaborative way is good. They come and work with somebody like me. They come back to you in a better headspace where they've had that catch-up time. Or even that they just acknowledge and understand 
that some days they're going to be reasonable and other days they're not. And also there's that time lag that the court process wouldn't really work through or recognise because they'd each be instructing their separate solicitors in a traditional approach if there were proceedings on and they were going to court. And that person who's had that bus crash moment would perhaps be feeling overwhelmed by this and it it must be exceedingly difficult for them to even just grasp the emotional shock never mind then start plowing through large documents and financial facts and figures and trying to take it all in Mm -hmm. so so that is a very useful um tool to to recognize that if time's needed and i like to think that if i see a client and they're looking stunned at the breakdown whether or not we run collaborative as a process of resolution I'd always give them your details if they need support because it's helpful for anybody. I think the other point about uh, the process and getting away from the court approach is that quite often the reverse is seen by me and people come to me and say we've been separated for two years now Miss Grimmett and actually we're really amicable And do we really have to go through court? Is there a better way? And that's where I put my alternative dispute resolution hat on and start thinking, well, there's mediation, there's collaborative, there's arbitration. Now, I haven't really talked much about arbitration, and that's one on its own for another day. But the mediation process is great, but the fragmentation there, I find, can be a little stilting for them. So that pair where their all systems go and they have moved on and they're they're in that headspace that you spoke about where where they're ready to go i think sending them to mediation um would be helpful in many cases but the mediator and and not perhaps many listeners would realize this mediators who often are legally trained have a limitation on their role in that process they're not permitted to give legal advice because there's only one mediator and two parties consulting they have to remain neutral and they give information but not advice so if for example a couple say great we're all ready to go we're going to give a pension share how does that work the mediator would not be able to explain in specific terms how that pension share would be structured and how funds might pass or who might calculate it because pensions can be an extremely valuable asset more so sometimes than a house if you've got an NHS scheme local authority scheme forces scheme and so the mediator would say well go back and speak to your respective solicitors and they might get further reports and then sometimes the parties lose that impetus or the meetings for the mediator don't coincide with when the party solicitors are free then to have a catch-up and a feedback the joy of the collaborative process is if the parties are in that headspace and we're all raring to go the two lawyers are sat beside and when one or other party says well how's it gonna shake down then how does this work we explain it and again picking up from my point earlier the two lawyers are on the same page we look at each other we say yes that's how we'll work it we talk about do we need to instruct an actuary do we get a pensions report we instruct a pensions on divorce expert and then they'll go off and prepare a report sometimes as you've said about a four-way four people in the room turning into a five-way if you come into the room we then will have a five-way perhaps not with you in the room because this couple have done their working through we'll bring the actuary in 
will say to the actuary, you've got lots of numbers and figures on this report. Tell us how it's going to work. We can do that in a collaborative process. And he or she can unpick it, answer the party's questions. They're there to ask. It's their process. They're paying for it. They're at the front and leading it. And I think it empowers them so much. So positive. I would agree, Lisa. And I think what it also does brilliantly, it banishes the former narrative of divorce is all about what one lawyer pitching against another. What it shows beautifully is that you've got two lawyers in a room who can collaborate and discuss together as a team. Yes, you're working for your client, but you're also showing those clients that perhaps uh, one one person might mention something and the other person says, oh, I don't don't think think that's not a good idea. And, and, And the solicitor could say, well, actually, that sounds reasonable, Let's have some time to think about that. Because generally, if we hear something that might seem adverse to us in the first instance, our initial reaction isn't always what we're going to decide later. Because once we've gone away, thought about it, calmed down a bit, actually, we might see the reason in there. That works beautifully, actually, that explanation with how the process would work on building those four-way meetings. So we'd have our initial agenda and we'd talk about general things such as how the children are coping, what are we doing about sharing parenting and family time, and what documents are we going to gather together to exchange with the other collaborative lawyer and what timescales are we putting on that so we come to say the second or third meeting with some schedules from that disclosure showing what the assets are and then we can look at discussing okay so now we know how much money there's likely to be if we sell the house how much mortgage capacity each party has and we can start reality testing we can then look at whether there's a need for one party to have perhaps a bigger portion of the proceeds from sale of the house because their mortgage capacity is lower. And when they're sitting in the room and they can see, the other party sees, oh yes, actually, my husband, my wife, does spend more time caring for the children as a primary carer, so the mortgage capacity they have is lower. But I would like my children to be able to live in a similar size home to me. So it would make sense if there was perhaps a little bit more of the proceeds given to that party so the house that the children live in when they're living with that parent can be as comfortable and so maybe I can move and that's where we do that reality testing and we talk through with the collaborative lawyers and we look all the time at the factors that the court would apply we still use the same statutory base we look at the same act of parliament we look at the same factors about how the the assets are fairly distributed between the parties, how we're going to meet their capital needs for homes, for pension provision, how we're going to meet their income needs. But we do it in a way that is an open discussion forum and that often can unblock something because the realisation dawns with the help of the lawyers on that third or subsequent meeting. I I agree, Lisa, and I think, you know, what we've talked about today in essence just shows how much calmer and kinder it can be and what I know is that relationship breakdown is extremely traumatic for everybody concerned and hopefully looking to the future we can through alternative dispute resolution and something like collaborative process 
make it a much better experience for our clients and surely that's a good thing. Definitely it's the reason I went into this field of legal practice I wanted to help people I didn't want to be locked in conflict and writing prickly letters all the time. I wanted to use my skills to help people come to a solution and look after their family unit. And nothing gives me greater satisfaction than knowing that once couples we've worked with have left the meeting, they're going to go and watch uh, their child play football or rugby or netball. As often I've heard them say when they're walking out of the meetings that they're going to do something together. together. And the great thing about collaborative process in Shropshire is uh, anyway, that is, is that it is growing it is becoming more known and it is becoming more popular so hopefully after today's podcast people will know a little bit more about it and I think you know thank you for inviting me here to talk with you today Lisa it's been just great and hopefully some more clients will come who will be wanting to know about this process. I should perhaps say that not every solicitor is collaboratively trained so it is important to check the resolution website and go on to the Shropshire Collaborative Lawyers website to see those of us in the area or wider who are collaboratively trained. We all have to subscribe to the Resolution Code of Good Conduct. We all have to undertake uh, a three-day training course and refresher courses. And it's important to bear in mind that both parties have to go to a collaboratively qualified lawyer for this process to be open to them. There are solicitors who are not collaboratively trained and they will potentially not even mention this process because if they can't offer that to their client they may not tell their client it's even there so do search out for a collaborative practitioner you're separately collaboratively trained you have qualifications so do the financial advisors we use and it's a really important field that I think has been the poor relation to mediation for a long time but now's the time for it to come into its own. Thanks to our guest Adele and to Lisa for lending their expertise. If you have a particular legal issue you'd like me to put to our specialists for an upcoming episode, please let me know by visiting lblaw.co.uk forward slash podcast. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you found the conversations helpful, please remember to follow, review and share the episodes. Speak to you soon. That was the Legal Lounge from Lanyon Bowdler Solicitors. Visit lblaw.co.uk slash podcast for helpful resources. And please do follow or subscribe on your podcast app so you never miss an episode. This podcast is brought to you by Podbean, which is a really easy way to create your own podcast. And that's why we use Podbean to host The Legal Lounge. You can download the free Podbean podcast app to start, record and publish your very own podcast in minutes. Podbean provides everything you need to run your podcast and you can record and publish episodes directly from the app on your phone. You can download the free Podbean app today. Head over and check it out at podbean.com and use the code PODCAST21 for your first 30 days of podcast hosting for free.